Today, though, we turn our, in our second lesson to the book of Joshua, towards the very end of the book. Um, we're reading from chapter 24, beginning with the first verse. And as you see in the bulletin, it jumps around a little bit, and I'll actually stop the reading at verse 18. Friends, I invite you to listen for God's word. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Friends, the world that we live in is a world that is chock full of decisions and choices. I read a study from Cornell University that said that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions each day. Think from the moment you rise to the moment you go to bed, you make on average 35 different conscious decisions each day. Everything from what you eat to what you wear, where you go, and so on and so on. Choices are all over the place in our lives, and we make them every second, whether we're really aware of it or not. There's a wonderful book called The Paradox of Choice by uh, a man named Barry Schwartz. And he, he talks about this complicated relationship that we have with choice in our world today. He said that um, from an economic standpoint, the idea of choice is really good in our market economy. Choice uh, tends to bring prices lower and tends to improve quality. Yet he says that there's a cumulative effect of all these choices that we make in our lives. They have a withering effect on us. They, they make us tired. They make us worn out. And ironically, they also make us more indecisive. Choice is everywhere. Some, granted, are much more monumental choices than others in our lives. 
And that's where we find ourselves in our reading today in the Old Testament at the tail end of the book of Joshua. Joshua here is actually giving his his farewell sermon. He'll die in the very next chapter of, of the book. And he's saying goodbye and trying to give some final instructions to the Israelites as they prepare to make home, uh, their home in this new, new promised land that God has brought them to. And Joshua makes this speech at Shechem, which we might just kind of glance over this detail, but it's a very important one. See, Shechem is the very place that Abraham as well as Jacob both built altars. And in fact, when Jacob builds an altar to to God at at Shechem, he also symbolically buries all the gods that his ancestors worshipped before Abraham. So this is an important place. And so Joshua presents the choice before the Israelites at this monumental occasion. Who will you serve? Will you serve the God that that called Abraham by name, that brought you out of Egypt, led you through the wilderness, and has now given you this new land? Or will you serve all the other gods? The gods of your ancestors before Abraham, the gods of the Amorites and Egyptians, the lands that we've been traveling through all this time. Whom will you serve? It's funny, in his speech, Joshua almost seems to be hinting at something. He almost seems to be hinting that the Israelites want it both ways. Sure, they'll worship God, the God that brought them this far, that's been with them all this time, but they don't really want to cut ties with the other gods, the other idols in their lives and in the world as well. Joshua says it simply can't work that way. Which God will you serve? Who will you follow? Friends, in in the world in which we live with all these decisions at each waking moment of our, our days and our lives, we face a similar dilemma too. The choices that we make seem to kind of tire us out as, as Barry Schwartz says, but we also seem to have this, this feeling at work in us that the Israelites did of wanting it both ways. We want to serve God, we come to church, we worship, we try to serve and and live out a a good Christian life, yet we're also hesitant to cut ties with the other gods and idols at work in our world too. We still struggle with the gods of wealth and power, with all of our other affiliations in this world, and we seem to want it both ways. We struggle, and it, it limits us in our lives and our journeys of discipleship when we do this. Add on to that the the difficult and complicated relationship we have with choice when it comes to faith as well. Particularly us Presbyterians, we have an ongoing struggle with the idea of choice when it comes to our faith. Sure, we know that we have to, to choose to live out our faith, to live lives of discipleship, yet we know the dangers that happen when, when the idea of choice is taken to extreme ends in regards to faith. In some branches of the Christian tree, taking choice to the nth degree, it becomes a, a sort of form of works righteousness. That our choosing to follow God is some way earning God's love and God's salvation and God's protection. Taking it even further, it becomes the means by which God, uh, us choosing God is, is the 
the impetus for God punishing or rewarding us. The fancy word there is retribution theology, and it's something our, uh, the, the folks in the prosperity gospel movement talk about a lot, that God rewards or punishes you based on uh, your faithfulness to God and, and how, how uh, well you serve God and live out the Christian life. How do we navigate these, these difficult waters when it comes to choice in the Christian faith? Well, thankfully, friends, Joshua's speech is a great text for us to wrestle with. If you look back at it, when Joshua presents this choice to him, he does it in a pretty interesting way. He says, which God will you serve? The gods of your ancestors and all the folks that we've encountered along the way? Or will you serve the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob? The God that brought you out of Egypt, that's led you through the wilderness, through all these wonderful signs, and has brought you here to this moment at the cusp of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Joshua really reframes the idea of choice here. He asks the people of Israel to choose a God who's already chosen them. All the way back to to Abraham. This God has already chosen you. How will you live out that reality? How will you live out that choice? How will you live out God's unconditional, unmerited grace and acceptance? Friends, that's where we find ourselves. God has chosen us. God takes the first step. God loves us just as we are no matter what. As I said to the kids, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. God has chosen us. How do we respond to that grace, that amazing, uh, unconditional, unmerited grace? Well, in the Christian faith, particularly as Reformed Christians, we tend to talk about this in terms of how we live out our lives in response to God's grace. Our choosing God is, is our way of, of living out a life in response to God's grace. And we do that primarily through the, through the wonderful terms of gratitude and generosity. And that's our stewardship theme this year. You know I'd get to that eventually, I guess, right? Um, we tend in the church to, to struggle a little bit with stewardship when we hear that. Um, it, it often amounts to what one of my seminary professors called the annual sermon on the amount, where the pastor will bring up giving and, and uh, money one, one Sunday leading up to the stewardship campaign and then never talk about it again the rest of the year, avoiding it at all costs. Well, y'all have known me long enough to know that that's not really how we do things here. I just finished a, a series on gratitude last month. But something you also hear me say a lot is that even if WPC had all the money we needed to do our ministries, I would still insist we do a stewardship campaign each year. Because in the end, it's not about funding the church budget, though, granted, that is important. Rather, it's about building disciples and reinstilling these, these attributes and, and uh, parts of discipleship of gratitude 
and generosity. We need that reminder each, time, each, each year. I know I certainly do. We need to be reminded of gratitude that everything we have is in fact a gift from God and how we live that out. And some of the best examples of gratitude and generosity I've seen um, have not come from the various stewardship books I've read in my ministry, which I've read quite a few. They've come from you all, meeting and encountering you in your lives and hearing about your own journeys of, of discipleship, of giving and gratitude and generosity. Um, one, uh, one example I wanted to share with you is uh, a gentleman in my former church who shared this story with me that he, he and his wife had been giving to the church for some time. They've been, they were pledgers for a while and felt like they were, they were giving pretty generously. And one time, uh, he made his pledge, he and his wife, and then thought everything was fine. And a little bit later, he gets uh, um, a letter in the mail from the church confirming his pledge. To his surprise, he found that he accidentally added a zero onto the end of his pledge. In a moment of panic, he thought first that he would just simply call the church office and said, hey, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, and correct it and go on. But then he thought about it for a minute and said, perhaps this is a challenge. He spoke with his wife about it, and together they chose to live up to that aspirational pledge and were able to fulfill it. He said it completely reframed how he thinks about giving and gratitude in the Christian life. It reframed everything in their lives and in their journey together, um, this husband and wife, to see everything that they have as a gift from God and how to live that out faithfully. Friends, when we choose God, we, we choose to respond to God's first step. God chooses us first, and we respond or we choose by living into that grace, by responding with gratitude. Now, friends, the, the natural byproduct of gratitude is generosity. And the, the gentleman I just talked about is one example of that, and um, there's so many others. And as I said, I learned way more about stewardship and generosity from um, uh, having conversations with you all in the church and in the various churches I've served, more than in any book or seminar I've ever gone to on stewardship. And that goes all the way back to the very first church I served as a lowly seminary intern in the small town of Ashland, Virginia. Now, this church could barely afford to keep its lights on. It could barely afford to, to pay a pastor. Yet, they and uh, um, a little country church just down the road put their money together to, to afford an intern for the summer, me, um, and, and as a way of, of um, participating in the future of, of uh, the church's ministry. It was a wonderful summer. It was the summer Marie and I got married. Um, and that church taught me so much about life and ministry. But they also taught me so much about gratitude and generosity as well. And I'm reminded of that every Sunday when I put on this robe. Because that was the, the, the church's parting gift to me at the end of my internship. And they bought me this, this nice robe. And these are actually pretty expensive. So it was a, an extremely generous gift from this, this small church who um, uh, truly had a, had a mighty um, ministry of, of witness and service 
of love and gratitude. And it's something I'll always remember and always cherish. Friends, in a world where we are just inundated with choices at every step of the way, at every waking moment of our lives, the good news is that God has already chosen us. We can live out that grace. We can respond to God's grace by living lives of gratitude and generosity. Seeing everything that we have, everything in our lives, as a gift from God. And finding ways to respond generously to the needs of our community and world around us. Friends, may it be so. Amen.